For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get everything you need to keep your pets happy and healthy at Menards. Feed your canine companion the best with chicken soup for the soul. Their dog food is made with real quality ingredients. It provides well-balanced nutrition for supporting happy, healthy pets. Explore all our pet products in-store and on Menards.com. And check out more of our great deals going on now at Menards. Hello and welcome to the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. I am Ryland Stiles, and joining me is friend of the show and recurring guest, Thomas. Arrowhead Tom. How you doing today, Thomas? I'm doing real good. Like I said, I'm staying busy as always, but always find time to uh, talk about the Chiefs and, you know, always got the eye to the future, looking at different draft prospects and all that stuff. So excited to be here today and uh, talk about all that. And you can find him on Twitter at Arrowhead Tom. You can find me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. And as Tom just mentioned, he is our draft guy both on this podcast and at the ArrowheadAddict.com website, which sponsors and hosts this podcast, a part of the Fansided Podcasting Network. Thomas, we had you on before last draft season as we prepared for last year's NFL draft. I want to start that draft coverage sooner this year. And so the bye week feels like a good time to look at that future. And so, again, you're, you're kind of the best in the business, especially, I think, in terms of only Chiefs content being the best draft guy that there is from any other Chiefs site, including ours. So I want to talk to you about the draft today. And I think that, you know, you can't really talk about the draft unless you talk about the offseason as, as a whole. So that way you know what you need going into it. So let's start with the biggest topic. And that's Chris Jones. Is Chris Jones mm-hmm. going to be a Chief in 2020? I would, I would have to say yes. Uh, as of right now, I think... Uh, I think that's what everybody wants. I I think it would be a really tough situation for uh, Andy Reid and Brett Veach and just for the organization as a whole to let him go. Uh, just what he, with what he's meant to the team in terms of on-the-field production, but also in terms of the energy that he brings to the defense. Uh, he's obviously a fan favorite. He uh, loves being a Kansas City Chief from everything that, that we've seen from the day that he was drafted. Uh I think the other part of that is if you let Chris Jones walk and then Frank Clark, you know, doesn't produce as much as you, uh, as much as you want him to, that's always going to kind of loom over the organization, over the, the front office going, you know, you paid somebody a whole bunch of money when you got a, when you had a guy who just got 15 sacks the year before and you let him walk. And, uh, I think that's a tough pill to swallow. I don't think that they want to do that. I think, uh, in an ideal world, you keep both of those um, those guys up front, and you can build around those two pieces. I mean, that's, uh, that's a half a half of any offensive line is going to just have to be devoted to those two guys. So you you know you can put in some kind of average players next to them, and they'll they can probably thrive in that situation, probably make them look better than they are. So um, I also think that with Clark Hunt coming out, you know, a couple weeks ago saying, "Hey, we're working on a deal. We want to get a deal done." 
I think that's a big deal. It kind of reminds me of the situation with Eric Berry a couple of years ago when uh, you know a lot of big numbers are being thrown around. But if Clark Hunt says he wants it done, I think so far we've seen, uh, which is probably a little bit different. You know, I, I don't think his his dad was as involved uh, in terms of contract negotiations and that kind of thing. But he said that he wants it done, so I'm guessing that it'll get done and that Chris Jones will be a chief next year. Um, of course, there's the reality that it could, you know, maybe he won't be, but uh, I think that he will be in red and, gold, red and gold in 2020. And, you know, you mentioned Frank Clark in there, and he obviously had a had a good game the last time we saw him play against the Chargers, but is there a, any sort of buyer remorse from that trade, that contract, and everything that went into getting him when you factor in that you okay now we have to pay Chris Jones you got to pay Patrick Mahomes soon or do you think that everyone's kind of overreacting right now it's all going to even out and by the end of this we're going to be excited that they made that move for Frank Clark the way we were whenever the move was made well I'll be the first to admit that I was one of the most vocal proponents against the Frank Clark trade but not necessarily because of the player more so because of what was going on with the organization at that time with the Tyreek Hill stuff and with Frank Clark's history and, you know, we're not even, uh, you know, they hadn't even been a full year removed from having to let go of Kareem Hunt. So it was just, I think that there, it was a pretty bold move for them to roll that dice. So there's always, in my mind, that's, that's the first one. Um, you know, it's, it's a tough line to, to walk when you're as an organization saying you care about these types of things, but then you go and you spend not just a lot of you know money, but you spend draft capital. And, uh, that was, it was a tough, it was a tough day or two for me to kind of process through that. And, you know, you do some more digging and some more research. And of course we're on the outside looking in. So, um, that to me was probably my biggest issue with the trade as far as, you know, Frank Clark as a player, I, I like him. I think he's a, a good defensive end. Probably, I'd say at the very least, a top 15, uh, top 10 guy when he's on, on his game. Um, and he's young and he's developing. So I don't think that we overpaid for him. I don't think the draft capital was really, you know, um, it wasn't a huge gamble by any means. Because, I mean, you look at who was left on the board at that point, and I think uh, Seattle took the what was it, the Collier out of uh, TCU with the with the 29th pick, and he's not he, he's not done well. I wasn't high on him in the pre-draft process, and the pass rushers went fast. So if Kansas City was going to replace their pass rush with a draft prospect, um, you know, I said it a little bit before the draft, they were, were probably going to have to end up trading up several spots. And uh, so really, in terms of the draft capital that they gave up for, Frank Clark, it wasn't. It's kind of a wash on that side, uh, and you get somebody who's a little more proven, who has a little more, uh, you know, experience in the NFL, has some leadership ability, and I think so far it's paid off pretty well. He's been uh, pretty excellent off the field. I think the more I learned about his story, just growing up in, in such a rough environment, um, you know, it doesn't excuse any things that he's done in his past. But I also don't think that he's run from it or made any excuses himself. So, um, I think. You know, performance-wise, you look at the numbers, and I don't think that tells the whole story. There's definitely been an impact there beyond what's on the stat sheet. You know, whether that's pushing a quarterback up into the pocket and he runs into another sack. I know there's a handful of times that's happened. Um, he's looked pretty good. He looked especially good this last week. You know, there seems to be um, there was an injury kind of early on, slowing him down, but 
from everything we've seen, I think that he's trending in the right direction. So, um, you know, really having both those guys is, is a benefit. So hopefully they'll keep they'll keep Jones, and that'll be a good pairing for, you know, another five or six years for the Chiefs. I think that they're ultimately going to keep Chris Jones. I think that he's too good of a player to let get away, and you got to figure out everything else later. You just got to pay Chris Jones. And I agree with you. I don't, I don't think Frank Clark um, will have the Chiefs regretting the trade. You mentioned that the draft capital was kind of a wash, and I think that this contract, as we get more rushers paid, that it'll just look like another drop in the bucket. But I think that that's going to end up being a good tandem, as you mentioned. Shifting over to the secondary now, the secondary for the Chiefs this year uh, has been top five in almost every category. They've been a surprise, a surprisingly good group, and that's been mostly without Kendall Fuller. Does his absence and the way that, that guys like Traverius Ward and Fenton have, have stepped up does that make him easily replaceable in the sense of you don't want to bring him back after this year, or do you still go ahead and pay him this offseason? What do you do with Kendall Fuller? Um, if it were me, I'd let him walk. Uh, honestly, if I were me, I would have probably dangled him at the trade deadline. I know he's probably, I think he was hurt maybe the week after, but um, and we, you know we hadn't seen much of Rashad Fenton, and I, I think he's playing above expectations right now, and usually... Um, for a rookie, that's that's going to come back down. I mean, you know, and I, you know, I tweeted out this week. Somebody, some of us owed Rashad Fenton an apology, and I'm one of them. I was a huge, I was very critical of that pick, but um, you know, sometimes players transform, and you know, hats off to the Chiefs for seeing what a player could be, and not just what he was in college. And uh, Fenton has really rose to the occasion, so that's that's exciting. I think the Chiefs fans should be excited for that. Um, and I think it also takes some of that pressure off Kansas City as an organization to try to bring in Kendall Fuller uh, and keep him, you know, locked up long term. I think if there's a scenario where he comes back, I think it would maybe be where, uh, similar to what Ronald Darby did with the Eagles this last year, where they kind of let him go out and he'll get some free agent vis- visits. But um, you know, he's been Fuller's been kind of banged up the last couple of years. He's broken, you know, uh, I think he's dealing with a broken wrist right now. He had a broken hand last year and. Depending on how much longer he's out, I mean, you know, we may not see much of him this season, and if he doesn't really, you know, come back and have some dominant play on tape, uh, you know, he wasn't a world beater beforehand. So it, I think there's a scenario where maybe he goes out and he tests the market and he says, well, you know, it's not what I want. Let me come back to somewhere I'm familiar with, you know, somewhere I'm uh, well-versed, and maybe I can, you know, do a one-year deal, make some, you know, put some, some better tape out there, stay healthy for a year, and then, you know, go and try to get some more money, you know, the next year. I mean, he's a young guy. He's probably got another contract or two ahead of him. Um, but I think from a business standpoint, if he's coming in wanting, you know, top corner dollar, I don't think the Kansas City organization can afford that. I don't think that he's proven um, to be that for them. I mean, I think he's a, a great player and a great guy and, you know, nothing against him. But, um, you know, his role is primarily in the slot. And so, um, you know, there are some limitations with that. We've seen him get bullied by some bigger guys and, so, you know, I think you got a younger kid who is really putting the pressure on him. I don't think that – I think that the chances of Fuller being back are pretty slim um, given some of the other priorities and the fact that there seems to be somebody, you know, kind of in the wings with you know as a potential replacement. Yeah, I absolutely agree with everything you just said about Kendall Fuller. I think that – sorry about that. I think that that's the absolute right take to have on this situation. And I think that he will come back and be a chief next year uh, on a team-friendly deal. And it'll be a short-term deal, though, as you mentioned, where it still gives him flexibility to test the market if he does have that bounce-back year, although I'm not sure how how big his contract will be given the fact that he can really only be effective 
in the slot, as you mentioned. I think another big question around this Chiefs team is Sammy Watkins. Is he going to be a Chief in 2020? Not on his current deal. Um, right now he's scheduled to, uh, I think his cap number is, I'm just pulling up over the cap, it's $21 million for the year in, in 2020. Um, you know, So he's, um, at that point he would be a pretty big cap savings to cut him. I mean, I think they brought Sammy Watkins in thinking, you know, they will kind of transform a really talented player who's been uh, injured. And I think that there, there was a good plan. It's a good gamble to take for the organization. That I, you know, from everything I've seen and heard and read over the years, is that um, you know the the Chiefs training staff is one of the best in the league, and in fact, their their trainer um, and their training program is uh, you know one that trains a lot of athletic trainers across the country. And um, I always get their it's it's Rick or Rex uh, Burkholder, their trainer. Um, he's you know been promoted a couple times. He's you know, very, very well-respected in the athletic trainer community. And so to bring in a guy like Sammy Watkins and say, hey, maybe we can put him on a good plan, keep him healthy, and, you know, where other teams haven't been able to do that, I think that's a good gamble to make. Um, he obviously is, is talented, but, um, man, he just, you know, I don't think he's – he just hasn't been on the field. And I think that's affected his ability to have chemistry with Patrick Mahomes, and I can tell that there's not a lot of – you know, there hasn't been that connection there. Um, you know, he gets, I think he gets double teamed and gets more attention than what a lot of people realize. You know, he draws a lot of attention on the field. Um, but at the end of the day, he's not a guy who, you know, the, he's not a, a Julio Jones level player where even though he's getting that attention, you can still trust him and, and throw the ball to him when he's making that kind of money. I mean, so, uh, unless he restructures, unless, um, you know, something dramatically happens, maybe they, you know, restructure him or extend him by a year or two and, Move spread that money out a little bit. I don't think that he would be somebody who can stick around. I think the best option, you know, optimistically, um, is if Kansas City wants to kind of call around and say, hey, you know, we're probably going to cut this guy. We may hold on to him. But if anybody wants first dibs, you know, throw us a fifth round, sixth round pick, see what they can get from him. Um, I think this draft class is pretty deep. And so uh, getting some extra picks, you know, never hurts. And so, you know, and at the same time, you could also let him, let him walk and get, uh, actually, I don't think he, he. I'm sorry, he wouldn't count towards the uh, compensatory, um, you know, picks. So, yeah, I think the best thing you could do is, you know, maybe look to trade him. But I think in all likelihood, he's probably going to be, um, you know, somebody who's cut and, uh, you know, really a cap casualty. But also, he hasn't produced to, you know, what he's being paid. So. And so, do you think that there's any sort of surprise move out there for the Chiefs this off season that maybe? people aren't thinking about right now in the in the heat of the NFL season, but maybe it's on your mind as a move that under the radar they could make that not a lot of people are expecting? Um, I, I think the two, and one I, one has been maybe a little more um, common. I've heard it mentioned in a couple of other circles, you know, just in, in, on Chiefs Twitter and stuff. And, and, the, and the big one is, and probably the hardest one to swallow is, um, you know, moving on from Laurent Duvernay-Tardif as, um, you know, from the – who plays um, you know, right guard for Kansas City? Um, you know, Doctor Larry is, is loved in Kansas City. I remember last time I went. You know, there was a, a gentleman and a doctor. You know, it was the jersey that said doctor in front of it. You know, he's a, and it's a great story, and he's a great guy. Um, he's done really well for the Chiefs, but um, you know, between injuries, which is kind of ironic, <laughs> um, and really kind of a plateaued level of play. I think some. You know, he 
he is what he is at this point. You're not going to get much. Um, you know, I think they paid him probably, I don't want to say prematurely, because, you know, you wanted to keep him around, and he was playing well above his draft position. He was developing very nicely. I mean, you know, people kind of forget he was a six-round pick, you know, played in Canada, and, you know, it's really, you know, small school was not not expected to be anything. And so for him to have been a starting NFL lineman for as long as he has and to have, have had the success that he's had, like, that's great. And he showed a lot of development early on. But he's kind of plateaued, and he's, you know, really playing – um, just at an average level, but he's getting paid money like he's, you know, a top 10, top 15 guard. And so, um, you know, Andy Reid is pretty good with offensive linemen, uh, despite the struggles we've had this year, especially on the inside, though. Uh, he can, Andy Reid seems to just, you know, pull those guys off the street and put them in and, and do well. So uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me too much um, to see LDT somewhere else or to see him restructure. Um, the other one, I'm just looking at the list here. And, you know, I don't think it would upset anybody really at this point. But, um, you know, they, they paid Alex Okafor decent money. And they're going to be a little strapped for cash. Um, so I could see them moving on. Honestly, I think if they do that, I would love for them to see, you know, to take that money and redirect it to, you know, Emmanuel Agba, try to keep him around. Um, you know, his injury situation. Um, again, maybe he'll come back on a one-year deal. You know, having a season-ending injury at this point in the season is pretty rough for him. But he looked really good. Uh, you know, he looked like the guy who probably should have been earning the paychecks that Okafor was earning. Um, and the last one, and this is maybe just a personal thing, I've never, I've never been a huge Damian Williams fan. Um, you know, that's <laughs> maybe it's my own personal bias. I just, uh, he's not. Um, you know, I think he's he benefits. You know, if you give him a big hole, yeah, he can run through it, and you know, he can do he can do that on a basic level. And he's a good athlete. Um, seems to be a nice guy and all that, but I don't think he's the kind of running back that fits as well as we want him to in the in the system. Um, you know, obviously we all know about the, you know, he's fumbled a lot this season. And, you know, he started off, um, you know, kind of banged up. And Andy Reid was pretty vocal and surprisingly vocal for Andy Reid, you know, pretty much just calling him out and saying, hey, you need to be, you know, you need to be here. And, and so I think he's really fallen out of favor with the coaching staff. I think they've had to go back to him sometimes because, the other running backs they had were, you know, fumbling or couldn't be trusted in certain situations. So it's been tough. Um, you know, I was there's a part of me that thought maybe he wouldn't even make it through the preseason. Like he might get cut, you know, before the season began. So, um, you know, that's that's the reality of it. I don't think I don't think he'll be on the roster next year. And if he is, it'll be probably buried. I'd be surprised if he makes it out of training camp next year, honestly. Um, so those are those are some pretty, you know, that's. That's a couple starters there. Um, you know, a lot of them are on offense, and, and that's kind of scary, I think, for some fans. But um, you know, those there's some spots that we're kind of overpaying for, and you know, we still have um, you know money on the books from some players who you know aren't on the roster anymore, and we you know we're kind of paying for that still. So um, you know, got to keep that in mind, and we got to make sure that we have things paid for. So um, those were the, those are some. I, I again. Not saying they're going to happen, but I could see it happening. I could see a situation where those unfold. Yeah, LDT is not a guy who I've even thought of yet, but your points are very valid with him, and I and I, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did move on from him now that I'm actually thinking about it. So let's transition into this year's NFL draft. You still have a few opportunities to see these prospects in college as they finish up their season, uh, this regular season this week, and then conference championships, and then the bowl game. Uh, but Mm-hmm. Who should Chiefs fans be keeping an eye on, and who should the Chiefs organization be targeting in this year's NFL draft, and why is it DeAndre Swift? 
<laughs> well, we'll get to DeAndre Swift in a minute. So I, I just wrote this article. It uh, just came up yesterday. So, um, you know, we talked about at the top, you know, if, if Chris Jones walk. And, I, you know, I call that the worst-case scenario. Um, you know, if Kansas City doesn't bring Chris Jones back, they're going to have a pretty big hole, you know, at their three-tech position. Um, before even that even crossed my mind, I was watching tape early on um, just of some prospects. And a kid out of South Carolina popped out. And I just remember looking at the play and went, man, that looks just like what Chris Jones has done a couple times, you know, against the Broncos. And um, So that's Javon Kinlaw out of South Carolina. He's not – ironically – you know, he's, or coincidentally, he's, you know, the exact same measurements as Chris Jones right now. He's listed at 6'6", 310 pounds. Um, and he's, I mean, very similar frame. So long arms, you know, uh, very quick, explosive off the line. The big thing with, you know, the big difference there is Chris Jones has got, I mean, just, you know, catcher's mitts for, for, for hands. I mean, massive hands. He's extraordinarily, you know, powerful at the point of attack. I mean, he punches offensive linemen in the in the chest, and I haven't seen that as much um, with um, Kim Law, but Kim Law still has um, some of those abilities and, and the raw the raw traits. Where if you're going to try to replace Chris Jones, you know, that might be how you do it. But I think we'd rather just keep Chris Jones. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, another guy I mentioned on the list that I think if you, um, you know, if you like college football and you like explosive, dynamic players, I think you really need to check them out if you haven't already. Um, LaVisca Chenault, wide receiver out of Colorado. Um, you know, really, really versatile player. He's been a little banged up, uh, but looks like he's coming out. He really is, um, you know, he, last year I think he, you know, accounted for, when he was on the field, he accounted for like 60% of Colorado's offense. It was just something insane. Um, he, he's just, you know, very productive, very talented football player. Um, could be, you know, a natural replacement for Sammy Watkins. I mean, if the Chiefs want to look that way, he may slip a little bit with his, you know, being kind of nicked up here and there, ironically. You know, again, just like Sammy Watkins. But, you know, if you're trying to, you know, pick somebody who's similar and, you know, fill that role, um, that'd be good. So um, you brought up DeAndre Swift. So the, this running back class is uh, phenomenal. I, 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 I watch, you know, I keep going back. I, I did my list earlier in the year, and then I just keep circling back, and I'm going, maybe I should move this guy here and this guy here. Um, it's tough. There's some really good running backs. It really is going to come down to what scheme you prefer, what style you like. So um, if you're talking, you know, if it were me, if I was running a team, um, the first guy, I'd, you know, I'd go and pound the table for is Jonathan Taylor. So he's a running back out of Wisconsin, really talented athlete, big guy, runs with a lot of power. Um, you know, I, kind of an old school running back. I mean, he's a guy you can give the ball to 20 times a game out of the backfield, and he's going to run and get better as the game goes on. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of his just because, you know, I'm kind of an old school guy, and I like watching people get run over. To me, that's, you know, um, that, I mean, that's how I became a Chiefs fan, is watching, you know, Larry Johnson run over the San Diego Chargers. So, um, you know, that, he, as a personal, you know, fit, that's, that's my guy, Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin. Um, so, you know, if, if it was just me and, you know, in a vacuum, I'd probably put him as my one spot, but, uh, there's so many guys behind him. Um, you know, Travis, um, I, I can't, his last name is Etienne or Etienne. I think it's Etienne. Uh, out of Clemson. Yeah, Etienne. Uh, dude's, I mean, he's a flash. I mean, you know, talk about, you know, this is, 
Um, I, I don't like to compare anybody to Jamal Charles because what Jamal Charles did on the football field was special. So I'd say maybe he's more closer to a, a Chris Jones just because he's got such when I mean he if he if he gets turned up field I mean he's gone in a blink he's he's got incredible speed it wouldn't surprise me to see him run in the four twos at the combine um, so yeah Etienne is I mean he's he's fast and he's you know shown that he can be. Uh, you know, a, a role player in a talented offense. So there's there's things to like about him. Uh, there's um, uh, J.K. Dobbins at Ohio State. I think he's a little underrated. Um, you know, he's, he's good at just about everything, not necessarily great at anything. But, you know, if you're maybe in round three or four and you just need a guy to plug in and play, I think you can grab Dobbins and feel pretty good about it. But DeAndre Swift out of Georgia um, – I think he's ultimately going to be my number one. I think he's going to be probably the best fit for Kansas City. Um, the dude, you know, I was, we're talking about comparisons, and, um, you know, I said he's he, he reminds me of Alvin Kamara, not necessarily in, in terms of how fast or how quick he is, but just how slippery he is. Um, you know, he's, he's got a very um, thick base, which, you know, kind of a weird thing to say about a, a football player or another man, but he's, uh, you know, he's, the way that he runs, people, you know, the first tackle is just like, it's almost automatic that they're just going to fall at his ankles and, and roll away. Um, you know, he's got good good decision-making. I think he sees the hole pretty well. And he he has the patience, you know, behind the line, and he can find that. And He's not a guy who's afraid of contact. So if his, you know, if the run's going to be three or four yards, you know, behind a guard and, uh, you know, put your head down and get as much as you can, he's no problem doing that. Um, good pass catcher out of, the, out of the backfield. I'd like to see a little bit more of that from him, but... You know, they all, a lot of times they leave him into pass block, which, uh, you know, he's, I mean, he's college running back, so there's a lot that he'll have to, you know, adjust at the pro level. But, man, I've seen him just go after some guys. And not just, you know, there's been times where he's, you know, known okay at this angle and that kind of stuff where, you know, you just have to dive at their feet and, you know, get them with a chip block. But I've seen a couple times where he's, you know, stood a guy up and, and just went, you know, into his pads and, and, you know, almost looked like an offensive lineman blocking. And so... I, I'm guessing that, you know, uh, Andy Reid and Brett Reach are watching that tape and, and just drooling over the idea of a, you know, running back who can be a pass blocker for Mahomes and then, you know, pop out into the into the flat, catch some passes and, you know, and pick up those short yards. Um, I think that's something that the offense has missed a lot since Kareem Hunt. And even Kareem Hunt wasn't the greatest, you know, pass blocker, but he could get those short yards that, you know, it's second and third down. You know, you need three or four yards. You can, you have that option. You have that threat to hand it off. I mean, uh, you know, I think about the Colts game. It was third and one. They hand it off, and we get stuffed. <laughs> um, you know, that probably doesn't happen if it's if it's Kareem Hunt or if it's somebody a little more talented. Uh, so I think, I mean, I'm a big DeAndre Swift guy at this point in the season. Um, I would love to see him in Kansas City. I think he'd be a really good, good complement for the offense. Uh, they really have to figure out this run game. They can't keep skating by with, you know, the island of misfit misfit toys at running back. They just can't do it. So, um, yeah, I, I would love to see DeAndre Swift make his way to Kansas City and, and pair up with Patrick Mahomes for the next decade and, and just, you know, terrorize the league. I think that would be a lot of what it would be like. So, Yeah, I think DeAndre Swift is the best fit for the Chiefs at the running back position, and I think he's really what this offense truly needs. I mean, we've seen Patrick Mahomes be able to take Demarcus Robinson and make him a good target. I know that you know some wide receivers on the board uh, might look good to the Chiefs, especially when you have Patrick Mahomes. But I think really you need you need a running back, and I think that that running back 
is going to be DeAndre Swift. I think he just fits this system perfectly. I think he's going to get Chiefs fans excited. I'm very high on DeAndre Swift. Mm-hmm. So I want to know from you, shifting to quarterbacks, and I know that the quarterback position is solidified in Kansas City for years to come. Thank the Lord that they finally have a franchise quarterback. I, I, I get it. I still think that the most interesting discussion around the NFL draft is always the quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. The first thing I want to know from you is Tua Tagovailoa. Pre- and post-injury, where did you have him? Because I thought even pre-injury, he was already slipping down draft boards. What did you have pre- mm-hmm. and what do you have now that he's injured with a, a hip injury that some are comparing to Bo Jackson, although that, that talk has been cooled off a little bit since the injury first happened. But what are your thoughts on Tua both before the Mississippi State game and now after? Yeah, so that's a tough one on a lot of aspects because I had Tua a little bit lower than I think what most people had for um, for a couple different reasons. Now, I think, I'll say it this way, I think Tua has a chance of being a good, um, a good NFL quarterback still. I still think that that could be in his future. Um, now, there, there are some other... Um, some things about his game that I was never a huge fan of. Um, I, I think, you know, he plays on a really talented team. He's surrounded by um, – he's got three wide receivers right now who, like, legitimately have a chance of all three of them going in the first round, um, which is – I mean, you don't get in a better situation than that, you know. Uh, not to take anything away from what he did, but it's um, – I'm trying to pull up the other guy's name. So, yeah, I think he – um, he's benefited from a great su- surrounding cast, supporting cast. Um, I think the other thing about Tua, and, and not to you know, um, you know, go with generalities because we've seen them, you know, seen people overcome them. But one of the things that you know, it's a little bit of a red flag is you know, like he's left-handed, and the history of left-handed quarterbacks in the NFL is pretty. It's a pretty short list. Um, you know, is that are they? You know, is that a list that's short because you know it's more common to be right-handed or is it because there's other issues with how an offensive line is assembled and and all of the other stuff um you know it's it's valid to put that out there i, I kind of consider that in my evaluation um uh, just because you have to do you know you have to move some things around when you you know if you're going from right to left-handed quarterbacks i'm uh, not saying that that's a, a huge thing but um, i think it factors into teams decisions more than what we probably consider um i do think you know, just his. I wasn't. I was never impressed with his anticipation. So a lot of his his throws and stuff were, you know, kind of layups. It's like, okay, there's Jerry Judy streaking down the field, twenty yards wide open, and he got it. and He's got a touchdown, but it was a little underthrown, or it was a little wobbly, it was a little off. So I think, um, you know, I think he could be a, I, before the injury. You know, I was I was kind of okay. He, he could probably start. He'd probably be a good, good solid player. Um, you know. After the injury, and I'm not a doctor, so, you know, take this, you know, for what it's worth. But this is my opinion. I think you're talking about a pretty serious injury. Um, I know he's not a running back, and so, you know, the Bo Jackson thing came out, and everyone kind of panicked. But they're like, oh, but he's not a running back. And um, I think there's probably been some good PR done by both <laughs> the uh, by Alabama and by uh, the NFL because, you know, the, the reality is a lot of these, you know, news networks and stuff, I mean, not to put my tinfoil hat on, but, they're going to, they want to kind of put out this this narrative, and I mean, if you have a guy who a lot of people thought was going to be the number one pick, you know, or had the potential to be that, 
and now he may never play again, you know, and, and all that. And so that goes right back to the conversation about should we pay college athletes? And so I think that you have to take the reports of, oh, he's going to be just fine, you know, that are coming out immediately, you know, with a grain of salt, with probably a big grain of salt. Because I think, you know, the NFL doesn't want a situation where, you know, they've got these prospects in danger and the colleges don't want that. So it's bad for the system that they've kind of set up. Um, so I think that there's probably a little bit of narrative control there. The thing about a hip injury with a quarterback, you know, if you ever pick up a, a quarter, pick up a football, don't pick up a quarterback. Pick up a football and you throw it, um, you know, regardless of right or left-handed, you you transfer weight on those hips, and you know, you get torque out of the hips to throw the ball. And so, my biggest concern, and until I see him do it, you know, I'm gonna just kind of leave it as a question mark. Is not gonna necessarily be how far he can throw it, but like. How how hard can he drive the ball? How much can he get into it when he has to fit it into a, you know, a window that's that's real tiny? Um, is he going to be able to get enough torque into his hips to twist and and fire that ball in there? Like a, we've seen him do a couple times in college, but you know, even before the injury, he didn't do it a whole lot. Um, but I, I would suspect that after that injury, it's going to be it's going to be hard for him to do that, right? You, it's a lot of healing, a lot of work that you have to do to rehab that injury. Um, and you don't know how it's going to heal and you don't know how the, you know, how that's going to kind of work out. So if I'm an NFL team who needs a quarterback, um, I'm probably a little, a little hesitant. Um, now I will say this, I think the benefit with that is, you know, from everything I've, I've read is he is a, you know, hardworking young man and he's a good, good young man who, um, understands the game of football. So physical limitations, all that stuff, you can, you can talk about those, you know, size questions, um, you know, his health, I think the benefit is maybe instead of him being a top 10 pick where he's going to come into a really bad situation and they're going to be, there's going to be pressure for him to start. Maybe he falls a little bit later. Maybe a team trades up for him, you know, into the, um, you know, the early teens or late 20 or early twenties and, and they grab him and they say, okay, you know, we've got you here. We've got a, a starter who's probably going to retire or we're going to move on from in a year or two. You can sit, you can get healthy, you can learn the pro game a little bit more you can get a rapport with our receivers and then in a year or two he could start you know and I think that would be you know beneficial for him um again not to knock on him too much but I think the biggest thing is he's got to recover from that injury fully and not rush himself back you know not push himself just to to get drafted early because I think you know you'd rather be you'd rather have a long career than you know get drafted early get that first paycheck and then and then be done so um you know if I'm if I'm his friend, if he's coming to me for advice, I'd tell him, focus on the rehab, make sure you have, you know, your hips and, you know, fully healed, make sure you're rehabbing those hard to push up and build those muscles and those tendons back up and uh, make sure you can, you know, get the torque behind the passes that you need to, to get the, you know, get that arm strength back. That's going to be, I think that, you know, people haven't really considered the motion that, you know, when you're throwing a football, you're twisting your hips, you're moving your, your hips and you're generating a lot of power and a lot of torque in those hips and if those you know if you're injured there that really threatens your ability to do that and to get that drive behind the ball so I think it'll be a very interesting you know situation to watch develop and I hope I, I hope the best for him you know you never want to see a talented athlete like that get hurt um you know he's done a lot for Alabama he's done a lot for college football so uh, hopefully you know he recovers well and we'll see him in the pros doing well in a couple of years but um yeah I think that there's it's a big question mark would you if you were to uh, consider returning to school, and I know that the NCAA system, believe me, I work in it, is not always the best to athletes. In fact, you can argue it's never the best to athletes. 
But you would assume that he would still have his job at Alabama, even if, say, he missed the first month. And where that becomes evident is the new NCAA rule where a player can play in four games and still redshirt that season. So if Tua can spend this entire summer not worrying about trying to do anything at the Combine or the Pro Day, which I don't think he's going to be able to do anyway, even if he wanted to. But there's no pressure in that. You get the entire offseason and even a month into next football season to rehab. And then from there, you're just playing at Alabama again and you're getting your stock back up. And then you'll be able to have a full Combine, a full Pro Day, and then try to get drafted with the likes of Trevor Lawrence and Josh Fields. And other than that, I can't really think of who would even be pushing for uh, a top quarterback spot in next year's class besides Lawrence and, and Josh Fields? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I would, I'd say initially no. Um, I think, I mean, well, and Alabama's got a great, you know, medical staff and all that. So it's, you know, in a lot of situations, I would say go to the pros, get, you know, get an elite training staff, but Alabama's got an elite training staff. Um, if I'm Tua, I have a couple of concerns uh, like you said, the the job is mo- you know most likely going to be his when he comes back, but that's not necessarily true. <laughs> you know they have um, you know they get a lot of recruits in, a lot of transfers, all that kind of thing, and and that would be a very desirable spot for any any young quarterback. And so, uh, and I'm not too familiar with who they've even got you know in their system waiting to take over for Tua, but um, you know if, if a kid comes in and, and starts tearing it up, I mean I think we've seen it in the NFL. We'll see it in you know a lot of cases where coaches will ride the hot hand and um you know on top of that if Tua is going to get drafted any at any point in the first round maybe even in the second round I think you have to take that opportunity uh I think there's been too many you know instances of quarterbacks who everybody thought was going to be good and then they weren't and they felt you know from year to year they fall off I mean you look at um you know a guy like Justin Herbert who if he'd come out last year was almost guaranteed to be the first pick, and now, you know, there's some questions and there's more tape on him and people are asking questions and, you know, kind of analyzing him a little bit more. And, you know, I don't think – I haven't heard his name come up very often in, you know, conversation as the first pick this year very much. So I think you don't want to cost yourself that money. Um, you know, if he's thinking long-term, um, you know, I think that I think it makes sense for him to come out. The only thing I would consider is, you know, if – if he feels like the the rehab team that he's got there at Alabama isn't, you know, you're not going to find anybody who can do what they're going to do with him, then then maybe. But um, I think ultimately the best decision is to go pro. Um, you know, and, and I guess realistically, you know, hip injuries are rough, you know, of any type. You don't know what that's going to be long term. So if I'm too, I'm also thinking, you know, if I, maybe I can't ever play again, or maybe my career is only going to be a couple of years. Um, you know, I got to have money to take care of myself, right? I'm sure he's you know smart and you know can get a job and all of those stuff. But you know, if he's going to have maybe there's complications from you know the hip injury or whatever down the road, um, you want to have something to take care of that and, and to work with that. I'm sure he has some kind of insurance just as an athlete. You know, it's pretty popular now among college athletes, but I, I'm not too familiar with that. On his end, but, you know, I think financially you have to look to the future and say if you can get into the NFL, you got to get in, um, you know, and and take your shot. Yeah, I agree with you. I think ultimately that he will go to the NFL, but it's just an interesting, I think, topic to kind of discuss right now. But on the injury front, as we take a brief break from the quarterback talk, because, again, quarterback's kind of on the back burner. My at, – at worst, I think he's the tight end, too, in this class, but Grant Calcaterra has just retired from football – Due to concussions, the Oklahoma tight end 
is done playing football. Again, I think that at worst he was people's quarterback, uh, excuse me, tight end two. He was my, he was, I think, the best tight end in the country prior to his injuries. Does this affect anything going into the draft with no Grant Calcaterra? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously that shakes some things up and, and somebody will eventually be that, you know, that number, that number two guy. Um, oh, he literally just retired. I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, he just retired. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, to peel the curtain back a little bit, you guys are going to hear this on Tuesday, but we're recording this early, so this is this is literally moments after Grant Calcaterra just now retired from football, University of Oklahoma tight end. Who steps up to take yeah. his place in this class? Is there anyone who you think is even close? Because I think this is a relatively shallow tight end class myself. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think there's, you know, it's a pretty, um, there, there's some guys that, you know, and, and they'll probably end up rising pretty quick. Um you know, that will benefit from this, you know, just because somebody has to be the number two guy, right? But you talk about, you know, the, the top and the, and the bottom. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little, I'm, I'm definitely caught off guard right now. You kind of caught me in. <laughs> that is, uh, that's, you know, I was breaking news as it comes, but, um, and, and, you know, that's unfortunate. I hope the young man, I mean, concussions are a scary thing. Um, I hope the young man is, um, you know, doing well and that he can recover and, and heal up and be okay. So, um, you know, I think it takes a lot of, I think it takes a lot of courage also to, to just give up. Cause again, he was going to get drafted this year, but to, to be able to realize, mm. okay, there's more than football. I am stronger than football. I have, I have more than football. So I'm not going to continue to put myself in this position to play this sport that really all it does is, is hurt your brain. And he's had so many concussions that, He's going to hang it up. I don't know if that many people would make this decision, especially prior to getting that big payday, whenever you're in line for that big payday. We've seen college athletes retire in the past who maybe didn't have the draft prospects that Grant Calcaterra does, but to see him step away I think is actually an encouraging sign, obviously terrible for him, but for people to maybe be able to realize that you don't have to keep putting yourself through this if if your body can't take it, and you can do other Mm -hmm. things that isn't playing football. Yeah, um, yeah, and I, I think that it does take courage. It takes you know a lot of bravery to and self awareness to say, okay, you know, um, yeah, I'm a high school athletic director, and I, you know, tell my young men all the time, you know, they're always trying to push through injuries and trying to prove themselves. So you know, it, there's nothing wrong with living to play another day, and uh, you know, you you get one brain, and you know, the reality is, is as much as you know, we we love sports, and you know, I'm a very competitive guy, and I love the sport of football. You know, coached it talk about it, write about it, you know, live around it. Um, it doesn't always love you back. Not as much as, you know, not, it's not a, always a reciprocating relationship. You know, the injuries, the abilities, the, you know, some of the most talented, most passionate guys I know about, you know, who I grew up with playing football, you know, they, they're five, eight, you know, <laughs> and yeah. they, you know, they didn't run a four, four, three, forty or anything like that. You know, they didn't have that skill, but you know, they, they love football more than anything else in life. And so, uh, that's a tough. That's a tough reality in, in life and in athletics. Is you know, sports don't always love you back. So, um, you know, best of luck to Grant, and, and hopefully, like I said, that he gets healthy and uh, you know takes care of himself first. Because again, you get you get one body, you get one brain. You know, at the end of your life, that's you know that's what matters. And, and you, you know, at the end of the day, this is just a game. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of great. You know, a lot of fun to talk about. But you got to take care of yourself. Yeah, um, just for the so sake of clarity. 
I I don't mean it's great for. I, I think that he obviously wants to play football. I'm just saying it's great that mm-hmm. he's going to be a, a pioneer in this thing yeah. of, of so many people get trapped if they've played football their whole life. Obviously, got good enough to play at OU, a, a brand school like that, mm-hmm. and good enough to be someone's tight end one on their draft board. Whenever this is the year you're eligible for the draft, to be able to get out of that thing that so many people get caught into of football's all I know, football's all I can do, and just realizing no, I can do anything I want to do that isn't football and that isn't damaging my brain. Obviously, Grant wants to play football. But it's just not in the cards for him. And I, and I appreciate him being able, like mm-hmm. you said, being self-aware enough to realize that he is more than football. And I think that more athletes can help themselves if, if they do realize that they are more than, than just football. Even though it's all they've been around their whole life, they're still more than just football. Mm-hmm. Um, but to answer your question, just in terms of where the, the prospects you know, land, um, you know, we've got Albert O out of Missouri, who I think is a clear-cut number one probably one of the better tight end prospects we've seen in a couple of years. Uh, and then it kind of falls off a cliff. <laughs> yeah. um, you get a lot of guys who, um, some of them just have awkward builds and, you know, you're not sure if their listed weights and, you know, heights are accurate. Um, I'm just kind of scrolling through this list. I'm going, you know, like, this guy's listed at 6'5", but he probably looks like he's 6'3". Um, you know, or this guy's, you know, listed at two, 250, but he's probably 240, you know, whatever. Um, I think, you know, you're probably looking at, Alberto will probably go first round, you know, late first round, early second. Um, could climb climb up if he runs really well. Um, I know there's some, some love for the, the tight end out of Vanderbilt. Well, man. Vanderbilt, um, Jared Pink, Pinkney. I'm not, I'm not sold on him. Um, you know, I've watched a little bit of Vanderbilt this year, and um, you know their, their team offensively is struggling. But he's not, you know, flash. It's not, you know, not impressed. A guy that I really liked last year, um, but just you know, again, kind of a, a strange situation in the offense is Kobe Parkinson out of Stanford. Um, now again, I'm I'm kind of a old school and a little bit of a sucker for size. So, I mean, Kobe's listed at 6'7", 240. So, you know, that's what I want in the end zone. I want a guy who, you know, towers over the other guys and can, um, you know, go up and get the ball. So, you know, for me, um, I haven't gone through and done a formal on all the tight ends. You know, I obviously Alberto's, you know, head and shoulders above. I guess right now I'd probably put Kobe at number two. Um, Kobe Parkinson out of Stanford would probably be my second tight end. So, you know, and he may benefit that. I think he was kind of a fringe, you know, um, maybe late day two, early early day three guy. So he might end up being, you know, just a, a solid middle of day two guy just based on, you know, the lack of available tight ends. It is a very thin class this year at that position, uh, you know, compared to last year, which, you know, was pretty loaded. So, um, yeah, that's, like I said, it's shocking news. And um, you know, hopefully uh, Grant does well and, um but yeah, I think right now, if if I if we're drafting today, Kobe Parkinson would probably be my my second tight end off the board. Yeah, you mentioned that you know you work at a high school athletic department. I work in a college athletic department. And you mentioned the size. Some of these are are terribly off, and that's why I don't even look at size until the combine because I know we do not list the the accurate height <laughs> and weight of guys most of the time. Uh, it's it's a lot mm-hmm. of just hodgepodge guessing and and whatnot. But back to the quarterback thing, and again to reset. This is Arrowhead Tom. You can find him there on Twitter. Uh, he's our draft guy at arrowheadact.com, and I think one of the best draft guys that there is as a whole and especially uh, Chiefs-centric draft guys. And I know that the quarterback play is not a question for Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes is going to be the quarterback for a long, long time. 
but it is the most interesting topic around the NFL draft. I think that I'm very low. No, excuse me. I am very low on on Justin Herbert. Is that right or is that wrong? Um, I would probably be probably pretty close. I, I've got I've got him as a as a late day one, early day two kind of guy. Um, and again, that's sort of the example we go back to. It Herbert probably would have been you know in the discussion for the first pick last year. Um, man, these Oregon quarterbacks are hard to to you know figure out mostly because they're. Uniforms are so brightly colored; it's hard to watch the tape of for more than two minutes. But uh, I, you know, I think he's got you know the the one thing that I've seen you know consistently NFL evaluators love. He's you know he's listed at six six, so he's tall, right? Everybody loves a tall tall quarterback. Um, you know, despite there's you know not necessarily a correlation with success there, but he's he's a big guy. You know, kind of prototypical build. I, I think he's gonna he's you know listed away. I think it's two twenty five. I think he's gonna come in. Um, well, a little lighter than that, and probably closer to six five or six four. Um, I don't, I haven't seen the same. This year's just been weird for him. I, he, you know, his numbers look good, uh, but he really just seems to be uh, kind of holding on the ball a little bit more. Kind of not as you know. Last year, I was I really liked what I saw. Very decisive. Very, you know, boom boom. But there just seems to be just a little bit of hitch in this game this year. Um, you know, he's still still putting up good numbers and still doing well and all that. But um, you know, some of his throws, you know, despite the fact that he's completing a lot of passes, you know, he's it's it's just it's not it's a little sloppier than than you know at that that I saw you know last year. Um, you know, that's that's kind of a, maybe sounds like a weak opinion. <laughs> um, but if you sit and you watch it and you you just look at you know what are what are the actual, you know, NFL level throws, you know, and there's college throws, there's NFL level throws and, uh, man, I, I just, I don't see as many NFL level throws and, and maybe they've, you know, simplified some things. Maybe they're, you know, just doing better. Maybe the defenses are, are adjusting their coverages cause they are a little afraid of what Herbert can do, but I, I just haven't seen this year. So, um, I didn't get the decision to go back, although I did kind of respect it. I know we talked about, you know, um, there being, you know, a desire to compete and be more successful on the field. Not, I can respect that and just, you know, a competitive athlete, but I thought professionally that's a tough decision to make. You know, that's a tough thing to um, to do because you're passed up on, you know, really being drafted in the first round. And now I think – and he's a quarterback, so he'll probably, you know, it's almost guaranteed that he goes. But um, I'm not – I'm just not as, as high on him as I, I have been I think as, as other people have been. Um and maybe I've just been overexposed. Maybe we looked at him too much, and so sometimes that happens too. And, and I'm guilty of it. Um, you know, I think that that's what happened to Lamar Jackson. Um, I was a big Lamar Jackson guy. You know, not of course. You know, I didn't tout that because you know we're you know also a big Patrick Mahomes guy. But yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I think maybe there's some overanalyzation there. But right now, he's not standing out to me as you know this all-world quarterback. He's not you know. Um, not the best things in sliced bread. So I think he'll be solid. Has to go to the right system, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I was the other day I was just kind of going through some mock and I do I do think um, you know, the guy that he reminds me of, and it might make some sense for Cincinnati. Um, he reminds me of Jared Goff. That's who I think you know, solid tools, physical tools, probably not doesn't have the most I think natural feel for the game, but if you put him in the right system with a good coach who can, you know, kinda um, help slow things down for him. 
he think he could be a pretty good player. And so, I mean, obviously Jared Goff did really well, and he's had an up-and-down career. Um, you know, last year he did really well. This year, not as much. His rookie year was, you know, kind of a wash. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting interesting thing to watch, but I'm not as high on Justin Herbert as a lot of people. So I think I'd agree with you on that one. Real quick, and then we'll shift away from the quarterback class. What is your grade on Joe Burrow? I know that given the fact he's a quarterback, given the fact he's had the best college season, he's going to get drafted high because teams are just so desperate for quarterbacks. But what is your grade on Joe Burrow stripping away who needs a quarterback and where they're going to be drafting? What's your personal evaluation of him? Man, uh, that's <laughs> that's a tough one because I just went on you know through all the stuff with with uh, you know Herbert and there there's something about Joe Burrow and again from uh you know I see the on-field stuff and that and that's great but um you know from what I've seen and what like the dude's got ice in his veins I was watching the tape against Alabama just you know just before this and I mean he just you know he's got guys breathing down his neck and he's just flipping the ball 20 yards downfield like you know he's taking a walk to the park I think that's I think he's got um I think he's gonna blow people away in the interview portion of things I think he's gonna do um, you know, you talk about the it factor, the intangibles. Um, I remember growing up, you know, they were talking about Tom Brady and the intangibles. It drew, drove me nuts. I didn't get it when I was a, you know, high school athlete. And all of a sudden, well, I was like, what do you mean the intangibles? How am I supposed to measure measure these things? And um, I think I think he's going to blow people away with that part of it. From everything that I read in terms of um, just his attitude at LSU, he's really um, taking on the leadership mantle. And I think, you know, NFL teams are going to love that. So I definitely think he's going in the first round. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see him go all the way to, you know, to go number one overall. Um, <laughs> I think uh, I've seen, you know, there, there seem to be kind of two, you know, they're the people who I think saw Joe Burrow last year and went, hmm, that's a pretty average quarterback. And I think they're kind of stuck in that evaluation. I think that there's some some merit in that because you you know they they changed some things in their offensive system and you know it, there there were some changes made. Um, and so you're thinking, okay, is this you know is he actually this good or is this a benefit of the coaching staff? And, and I'd, I'd say you know I don't as much as you talk about scheme quarterbacks. I think with Burrow, um, you're not necessarily um, you know you're not drafting a guy who's you know, got natural Patrick Mahomes level talent. Okay, let's let's make that clear. He's not. I mean, he's not. You know, he did, he's not going to stand on the field and throw the ball out of the stadium. But if you need somebody to throw, you know, twenty yards and make a completion, he'll do it. You know, he's he's got enough talent, but he's also got, I think, the the discipline and um, you know the the work ethic that NFL teams will love, and that they can mold into something you know really good. So. Um, I think there's a real-world possibility he's the number one pick. There's some other quarterbacks, you know, depending on who comes out, who doesn't, who stays in school. Um, but I think Burrow has really impressed from, you know, kind of some of the things, some of the people I've talked to, um, you know, some of the things I've been reading and hearing, even and even just seeing it with my own eyes. I think he's got a, a good um, – he's, he's building a real good case for that number one pick. And again, you're not drafting a guy with the most elite physical talent, but you're drafting a guy who you know is going to come in and, and work really hard, and you know get the job done. So, um, you know, and that, there's value in that. There's value in that stability. And I think you know some NFL teams, especially the ones who are you know drafting in the first top, you know, first ten picks, they want that. They need that. So, um, 
you know, I'd be perfectly happy drafting Joe Burrow, you know, as an NFL franchise and making him my guy because I think he's a he's somebody that you can build around and you put him with you know the right players, right team, right coaches. I think he'll succeed. And that's Arrowhead Tom. That's where you can find him on Twitter. I'm Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Tom, we're going to have you on between now and the NFL draft. I, I sure hope so we can talk about this class in more in depth at a later date. I want to shift over to last year's class. Everyone's talking about the Raiders right now. They're the fun little team, the fun young team that went from a laughing stock and John Gruden can't coach and all this of of, of trading Khalil Mack. How good was last year's class, and is it the historic class that so many people are raving about? Well, let me start off by saying John Gruden still can't coach. Uh, <laughs> and the Raiders are still trash. Um, I, I hate to admit this. I really do. But I was a big fan of their draft class, as much as that hurts me. Um, man, I was I was pounding the table for, for Josh Jacobs for the Chiefs. Um, you know, I said to me... <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's not a, he's not your Ezekiel. He's not your Saquon Barkley, you know, type of athlete or whatever. Um, but my, you know, my my comparison was I, I said he runs off like a or he runs around like a pissed off uh, Clinton Portis, and I mean, you know, very similar size. But I mean, he just runs with anger and and pad level, and, and he'll just run through dudes. Um, so I man, I was I was bummed when when he went to the Raiders. Uh, same thing, I you know, I wrote one of the very first evaluations I did last year was uh, Cleveland Farrell, Farrell uh, you know, the, the defensive end out of, out of Clemson. Uh, man, they got two of, my, two of my guys last year. It really killed me. Uh, you know, and that was obviously a shock at number four. And, and I'll say this, he hasn't done, you know, as well on the stat sheet, again, as, as people, you know, want him to. But he's had a presence in games. He's, he's learning. He's growing. Um you know he's a good athlete, but not a great athlete, and uh, his game has always been a little more technical. So there's there's going to be some growing pains with him, but I have no doubt that he's going to be a guy who you know they they took him high, you know to get to be consistent, and and that's what he'll be. Um, you know some of the other players, um, you know, I'm going to pull it up, but I know that they've had some success with some of their you know later on guys. Uh, it's hard to tell. I mean it's it's year one. You know we've seen rookies who do really well. Um, and you know fizzle out, and some guys who, you know, stay good. I wouldn't. I don't think he's going to be. Or this draft as a whole is going to be looked back upon as a you know historically great, uh, great draft class. Um, you know, I think that there's going to be some good players. I think there's going to be some guys that they they look at and go, man, that's a good pick. Um, we still don't know much about Jonathan Abram, although he looked good in the limited playtime he had. Um, Max Crosby is the other big one, and, and you know I, I had mixed feelings about him. I think he's benefiting um, from some other guys on that team stepping up, but uh, and he's just being allowed to play as a football player. That's the biggest thing with when I was evaluating Crosby last year was, um, you know he had to he was a football player first, and so if you try to take that away from him and take that kind of that just that. Uh, but reckless abandon as a football player, you know, somebody who just, you know, you put him, he's, a, he's an old school defensive lineman. You set him down, you point at the person you want him to hit, and then he's going to go hit, you know, he's going to go try to hit that person with everything in him until, you know, the whistle blows or somebody knocks him down. So, um, you know, Max Crosby, he's a fun guy, fun kid to watch, um, but we'll see kind of where his ceiling is. 
Uh, Foster Moreau was a tight end. Again, that was a really deep tight end class last year. But, um, you know, we'll see how that, that plays out long-term down, down the road. Um, Hunter Renfro, man, he's such a good story, such a good kid. I don't want to say bad things about him, but at the end of the day, he's got physical limitations. He's not, you know, once they get some more receivers in there, you know, he's not going to be a starter for them. Um, I, I just, you know, I hate to say that because he's a good kid and he, he was such a great college player. But, you know, people are saying he's going to be the next, you know, Wes Welker, Julian Edelman. And, White guy. Um, you know, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But he's just, I just don't see it. Good player, you know, probably going to be a good, hang around the league as a special team guy for a long time and, you know, if he did, if he, you know, I'd be happy if he proved me wrong because I, you know, I always, I always feel bad talking about these guys because they're human too. But re- realistically, his chances of you know emerging as a legitimate NFL threat at wide receiver are pretty, pretty uh, low right now. And I think we'll see that next week. I mean, I think you know, it's uh, you know, spoiler alert for my prediction. I think the Chiefs are going to handle the Raiders pretty handily, and I think you know the, the Raiders have been beating up on some teams that have struggled and um, you know haven't been on their A game so. We'll see how it all plays out, but I'm not worried about the Raiders. I think there's they had some there's some solid potential, you know, throughout it. But I'm not sitting here going, "This is a you know top five, top ten draft class of all time." It might be solid, but um, you know, I'm not seeing not seeing anybody who I'm going. All right, let's put them in the Hall of Fame today. Yeah, I think everyone's just kind of a little bit excited with the uh, with the Raiders team that you don't really expect to be as good as they are so quickly. I think that the division is wrapped up. I know what the standings say. I think the Chiefs have this division, and I've been saying all along that the team that we see go against Oakland on Sunday is going to be that Super Bowl-caliber team that people have forgotten about due to the Mahomes injury uh, and whatnot. People have kind of put them on the back burner. I think they're going to put their foot down, and they're going to show the NFL world why that they were once the Super Bowl favorite this year. Uh, So one last Mm -hmm. serious topic that we have today before we get into our fun little game that is festive and and awesome and totally innovative, and you've never heard it before at all on sports radio or sports podcasting. One more serious topic I have is Breland Speaks. I know that he's been a failed experiment so far. I know he's hurt right now. Is Breland Speaks a guy that I think he is in which he can be plugged into Spag's system and be very, very effective there? He just hasn't got a shot yet, or... Is this a waste of a pick and a guy who's never really going to pan out for the Chiefs? Man, that is uh, – I still lose sleep over that Breland Speaks pick. Um, you know, I, I just – you know, one pick away from getting Josh Jackson, the Green Bay Packers took him, and, and man, that was my guy that last that year, 2018. Um, I, I've tried – I've tried honestly and earnestly to – validate and justify i've tried to like breland speaks i've i went back and i watched more of breland speaks than probably his parents watched when he was in college (laughs) i mean i i watched as many snaps as i could get my hands on um i i don't know if brett veach had just been celebrating his first draft that whole weekend and maybe was uh you know I, I don't get it for the life of me. And I, again, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that Brett Feach sees something that I don't. But, you know, man, I I don't – I still don't get it. I don't see a clear fit. Um, you know, I think – you know, and I, I was on it last year. I said, you know, we need to move to a 4-3, and we did that. Um, and I said, we need to put Breland Speaks at defensive end. And I think that might have been the idea. 
And then Breland Spinks showed up to training camp looking like he ate, you know, well, another Breland Spinks. Um, now, and I, I get sometimes, you know, you take a picture and it's unflattering, but every, every report from training camp was he just looked slow and he looked winded and he looked out of shape and now he's hurt. And, and I, you know, I'm not blaming him for being hurt, but even in preseason, you know, he, he flashed a little bit playing on the outside. I think it was the second game we... Uh, he was put in a little bit earlier because some guys got nicked up. And I think it was him and, and Tano Pasmio came and, you know, met at the quarterback at one point. And it was like he's, he celebrated like he just found a ham sandwich. I mean, he was dancing around and jiggling. Man, I just <sighs> – I don't get it. That entire 2018 draft class, um, I mean, they're, they're almost all gone. And, you know, Breland might be the last, you know um, – you know, chance for redemption for that class, um, but it's really, it's you know, honestly, it's looking like none of them are going to make it to a second contract with Kansas City. Um, you know, Dorian O'Daniel's been a ghost this year, and um, just a lot of those guys. You know, Traymond Smith, I think, has been re-signed and released by the Packers about thirty times, and uh, it's just it, it was a miserable draft class. And you know, that's not you know. Typically, your first draft is your worst as a GM, and, and there's some things that he probably had to learn, and I think that there was... Um, he probably panicked, and, you know, trading up for Speaks was probably unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. um, thankfully, he's redeemed himself. This this 2019 class has been, you know, phenomenal, and we needed it. I mean, if they'd, been, if they'd played anything like the 2018 tra- draft, I mean, realistically, the Chiefs are probably at, like, 500 right now. Um you know, McCole Hardman is surprised and done really well. Um, you know, I think uh, Juan Thornhill stepped in and has done um, probably a better job than like most people think. And, you know, it was, well, he doesn't have, you know, these interceptions, but we don't, we're not seeing him get burnt every week. I mean, you know, last <laughs> last year, that was the story. It was, you know, who's going to get burned this week deep? Is it going to be Jordan Lucas or Daniel Sorensen back there, you know, running 10 yards behind the receiver while he jogs into the end zone? What, you know, who's it going to be this week? We haven't seen that much, you know, this year. So um, I think this class is hopefully more indicative of what Brett Veach can do as a GM. But I, you know, optimistically, Brett, or not Brett Veach, Freeland Speaks can come in. We can slot him in as that base end. That lift, let left end spot, let Alex Okafor walk, or you know maybe he can be the new Emmanuel Ogba or whatever. But I just, I you know he doesn't look like he's in the shape. You know looks like he's not taking it seriously. And uh, I hope he does. I hope he turns around. But I, <laughs> I, I've just about given up on it at this point. You know, and that's that's a tough reality of it. Yeah, I think it's obvious that he was a bad pick. That it was the wrong decision. I think that this lost season could be good for him to kind of refocus and, and and get back into kicking it in gear and saying, okay, this is my last shot at really being in the NFL, which really is, you know, capturing, I'm sure, what his dream was coming into you know, his football life. I think that Spags is going to do wonders for his game. I wouldn't be surprised though if he flames out. I think that every point you made is 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 right to this point. I think that I could see your way happening, and I can also see him getting into Spags' system and it clicking for him. Uh, but as of right now, the correct approach, I think, is yours and just saying, hey, he's a wasted pl- he's a wasted pick, a wasted player. Whatever the Chiefs get out of him is just icing on the cake. You can't even account for him uh, in the future of the Kansas City Chiefs. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's cut before the next season starts. Uh, but let's shift into the most innovative game in the history 
of Thanksgiving time. You've never heard this game before on a podcast or on sports radio or on any form of media for that matter. That's Arrowhead Tom. That's where you can find him on Twitter. You can also read his articles on arrowheadaddict.com. He's been on the show before. He'll continue to be on the show if he wants to. I'm Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. And since he is our draft guide, both on this show and on arrowheadaddict.com, and, and again, the best around at drafting, let's put his skills to the test and let's have a Thanksgiving Day draft. I'll give him the first pick after I read you the board. For the meat section, you can pick turkey or ham or both, depending on how the draft board falls. For the sides, you have mashed potatoes, green bean casserole, rolls, sweet potato casserole, stuffing, cornbread, and corn. You also have two wild card slots where you can write in any answer because I know that not every family has the same exact side. So if you want to write in something and try to take a pick that way to steal votes, you can. Dessert is uh, just tra- traditional pecan pie, pumpkin pie. Uh, apple pie, and then again, a write-in vote if you have some sort of uh, interesting dessert that you might think garners you votes. This will be a poll on the Aerohedetic Podcast Twitter. I'll retweet it on my Twitter, at Ryland underscore Styles, and you'll let us know who had the best draft. You're going to get five picks. You're going you're gonna to get a plate of Thanksgiving Day foods, and whoever has the best selection gets bragging rights. I'm not going to give you any, any reward for beating me in this. You will vote for, though, the fans at home. Uh, and tell us who's right, who's wrong, and what your plate would have been with five selections from this list. So again, Tom, I'll give you the floor, and the first pick in the Aerohedetic Podcast Thanksgiving Day Draft is... All right, so just to be clear, I'm picking any of these any of these that are on here, right? Any of them. Anyone I want. All right. This is going to be a shocker. You need to prepare yourself. Okay. So, with the first pick, I'm going with mashed potatoes. I like you can't it. have Thanksgiving without mashed potatoes. I think I think turkey and ham are better athletes, but I think the mashed potatoes is a more important position. So um, I think you can you know you have some better better potential there. But you that's a staple. I mean that's like you know you can have the All Pro quarterback, but you got to have the left tackle. And I'm taking my left tackle. That's that's mashed potatoes. It's going to hold the whole the whole table together. So mashed potatoes, number one pick. It's interesting that you mentioned Turkey. Do you remember whenever Alex Smith was the quarterback his last year starting, the media asked him around this time, Thanksgiving time, obviously, the media asked him, what's your favorite Thanksgiving Day food? And he said, Turkey really jumps out at me. He answered it as if he was diagnosing the Packers' defense. <laughs> With the second pick in the Aerohedetic Podcast Thanksgiving Day draft, I'm also going off the board a little bit. This is going to be a divisive pick. This is going to be a pick that... Is going to split our audience down the middle, but I think by choosing this, I can secure enough votes to win. And also, it's my number one pick overall. Even if I had the number one overall pick, this is where I would go. I'm going with green bean casserole. Ooh. I think it's the most underrated portion of Thanksgiving. My mother obviously makes the best green bean casserole, but it's hard to mess up green bean casserole. I am a firm believer that it is the staple of Thanksgiving and Christmas. Who cares about the turkey? Who cares about the ham if there's no quality green bean casserole? Wow, that's uh, that was bold. I, I that is that was like uh, that was like John Ross at pick number <laughs> eight bold before Patrick Mahomes bold. Mitch that Trubisky. Was, uh, yeah, that was Mitch Trubisky right there. Oh man, that is uh, I'm I'm rolling. Uh, that's you. I can't believe that my. 
this guy, you know, it's left on the board, so I'm going to run the card in as fast as I can before you can you can call on the commissioner and complain. I, I'm going turkey, and so I got the turkey, I got the mashed potatoes. My, you know, that's half my offense right there. All right, you're going to go with the traditional turkey, which is the safe bet. It's the safe pick. With the with my second pick, I'm going to go with rolls. How can you go wrong with rolls? Everyone needs a good roll. You no longer have the option of a traditional roll. You still have cornbread on the board, but I think rolls is the way to go here. I think that's the play. You can get tremendous bread options, and everyone loves bread. I'm going with rolls with my second pick. Man, uh, that's a bold pick. So, you know, rolls is solid. I'll give you credit for that. I will, uh, I'll be honest, though. Uh, there's a combination here that I don't know if, uh, if it's common everywhere, but it's, it's tradition around, you know, here in Illinois and in my part. So I took mashed potatoes with my first pick. So, you know, you're building that, that table up. you got to have something to complement your mashed potatoes. And so uh, I'm going to go with corn. And so here's what you do. You take your corn, you put it in your mashed potatoes, and you've got uh, just the, one of the most delicious combinations you'll ever see uh, on, a, on a Thanksgiving table or on a football field. Mashed potatoes and corn. Well, that's a one-two punch you can't beat. So I think I'm feeling pretty good about my spread right now. Mixing them together, all right, like a like a seven-year-old. That, that sounds good. With my third pick, I've got to do this. There's there's a higher value on the board right now, I think, in terms of vote gardening, but I've got to do this to tie my team together and make sure I don't get left out in the cold. In the meat department, I'm going with a nice honey-roasted ham. I think ham's the play here. you got to make sure you get a meat on there. You could have really sw- sweeped the leg and, and really just ended this whole conversation had you stepped up and grabbed both the meat section. I think that would have won you this draft. I knew, though, I could throw you off with green bean casserole and send you spiraling. I'm taking ham later, getting the green bean casserole and the rolls. All right. Well, we'll see who comes to your dinner and who comes to mine because <laughs> i got bad news for you. And this is, you know, I, I read a poll recently, and I was shocked at – uh, you know, they were, out, spoiler, I'm, I'm picking my pie here. And uh, I was surprised to see that this pie is not as popular as I expected it to be, especially during Thanksgiving time. I was very disappointed. America, you need to get it together. We've lost our way. We need to we need to do better. So I'm going to take a little bit of risky. I'm going a little bit old school. I, you know, I talked about it earlier how I'm an old school guy. I like big defensive end, big tight end, and, uh, you know, I like, I like big running backs. Uh, I also like pumpkin pie at my Thanksgiving table, so I'm, I'm taking the pie here. Pumpkin pie, turkey, mashed potatoes, and corn. I think I've got a pretty good lineup. Uh, I'm feeling good about it. I think we're going to have a lot of people at my house for Thanksgiving. Yeah, a good lineup if you're living in the 70s, your traditional Thanksgiving. I'm going with the superior pie here. I'm going with the pie that, if you know, you know. If you have a refined palate, then this is the pie for you. This is a superior option for dessert Give me the pecan, pecan, however you want to say it. Give me the pie with the gooey, nice inside. I'm taking pecan pie off the board. I mean, you can have the uh, the pie that tastes like tree bark. That's that's fine. Uh, that's, that's one left, one pick left for me, and this is tough. And uh, I know I'm tempted. You know, you're, you're you don't have a bread. Uh, I mean, you don't have anything to absorb uh, everything that you need. I know. And see now, here's the thing, uh, and this might be my downfall. I'm not a big, not a big bread guy on Thanksgiving, so just takes um, up room. I, okay, I can, I can get I, with that I strategy. Know. So, yeah. So, 
here, here's here's my I'm gonna I'm gonna pick in I'm gonna pick one of my my right ends, and so this is this is what it is. Complementing everything else, so I've got some nice some nice turkey. I've got my mashed potatoes. I've got my corn. I've got my pumpkin pie. It's late fall. It's cool outside. You know, it's nice and cold. You're gonna start to get sleepy. You need something that's gonna warm you up, get you ready for that that post turkey coma, and that's gonna be a bowl of my chili that I spend. Uh, I'll spend 18 hours in a slow cooker. I'll you know uh, get the beans ready myself. We'll get some some real good meat in there. We'll be a little bit of spicy, not too much to make you you know give you heartburn. Um, dice up some onions, a little bit, of, a little touch of garlic, touch a little some other stuff. Won't don't want to give away all my secrets on the podcast, but nice bowl of chili, top it all off, get you ready for, ready for that post turkey coma. You can fall asleep in the in the chair watching football and go to sleep happy, knowing that you don't have to eat ham and green bean casserole at your Thanksgiving dinner. You came to the right house, you came to the house with turkey and mashed potatoes, and they're gonna treat you right. Hook you up with a bowl of chili and send you on your way, and send you home happy. All right, well, I'll ignore that little shot for right now because you've left a a blue-chip prospect on the back burner. I'm surprised you didn't go with it with your 1970s Thanksgiving, your black-and-white TV, and all that goes into that. I'm taking stuffing of the cornbread variety. Give me the stuffing to complete this ensemble. So my team is ham, green bean casserole, dinner rolls, stuffing, and pecan pie. I think I'm the clear winner here. I think your guests are going to die of dehydration before they get to the third side. It's and funny corn, you say that or, because there is one more round that we left off that I am willing to add right now so you can try to make a comeback if you can make the right choice. You get one drink. What is your one drink? You get to, I'll give you the first pick again in the drink category. You only get one. And it can be any drink in the world. What are you picking? Any drink in the world. That's hard. And I know, man, that's just we're gonna we're gonna upset some people with wherever you go. Um, I man, you put me on the spot. Uh, I'm I'm normally a, a pretty pretty safe guy. So immediately the first two that, that pop into my mind is uh, is you know a glass of water. Because, you know, after a big meal like that, maybe you want to... But but I think that's a little too safe. Um, the other one I'm thinking is, you know, I'm a big milk guy. Like, I, you know, have a glass of milk with dinner every day. I'm pretty... Again, I'm a little simple. I'm, I'm a little uh, traditional. Uh, but we're, you know, we're going to spice it up. So here's, here's what we're going to do. After we've given you your turkey, you've had your nice big meal, you're sitting down in your big man chair in your big recliner. Football game's on. You're half half awake. You're starting to doze off, and then uh, you know we're gonna have we're gonna have a professional grandma come waddling in, and she's gonna come and she's gonna hand you a little cup, a little little mug, and in that mug is gonna be some nice, perfectly warm, fresh from uh, you know from the from the tree, freshly pressed, some nice, warm, perfect for fall apple cider. Apple <laughs> cider. Okay. Okay, I mean, if that's the pick you want to make here with your one drink option, I, I think that you've just sealed your fate here because I know exactly where I'm going with this drink option. I am playing to the heart of Kansas City. 
I am throwing myself at the feet of the Plaza District. I want your votes, please. So I'm going with the one drink. That's a Kansas City staple. Here's the play. You got to host Thanksgiving. You got to do it. That way there's no driving. There's no commuting. You go ahead and host it like we always do. There's nothing stopping you from saddling up at the table with your plate of ham, green bean casserole, rolls, stuffing, pecan pie. And next to it is a nice, cold, Boulevard Brewing Tank 7. If you're of age, of course. It's a bold pick, pandering to the audience. I mean, I don't think you did your scouting. There's a lot of people, a lot of people aren't going to like that one, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, apple cider and fall. I don't know how you beat that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that I have played to the heart of my city, Kansas City. Welcome me with open arms as I just bask in the boulevard glory. I'm interested to see where the audience goes here, though. I think that there's good yeah. picks on both sides. I like your pick of mashed potatoes. I think that that really can put a team over the hump and really could be the difference between losing in the AFC title game and winning the Super Bowl. I think mashed potatoes getting in there, that was a great pick to start things out. I, I'm still, I, I, you know, I'm looking at yours a little bit more and, and I, I feel like maybe I, uh, you threw me off so much with that green bean casserole pick. Uh, I, I, honestly, you might lose some subscribers over that one. That was rough, man. Uh, but, you know, it's solid. I mean, you did grab ham. Maybe I should have came back and, uh, you know, blocked you from the from the ham. But I knew you had some write-in answers, so you could you could you could have got around that, right? So, um, you know, I think, you know, I left you ham just to be be fair. But I'll, you know, and you grab the rolls. The rolls are are good. You know, I was a little disappointed to, to miss out on those. But I feel like uh, I had some good balance. Like you said, you got cornbread and rolls, and everyone's gonna be at your place, and everybody be really thirsty, and we're gonna be all snugged up and. And ready for uh, our post our post turkey coma. I mean, that's tradition, man. You you can't uh, you can't be out there partying too hard on Thanksgiving. It's about uh, eating food, watching football, and falling asleep, and then waking up, you know, right before Christmas. That's the plan. So um, I feel good about it. I think you did a solid job, you know. But I would say uh, you're probably closer to the 2018 Brett Beach, and I think I've got 2019, <laughs> you know, going over here. So. So we'll see how it plays out on the polls. Again, that's at Urahead Tom on Twitter. If you want to direct all of your slander to him for for knocking in the name of Tank 7 and saying that I didn't do my scouting when taking Tank 7, a legendary staple of Kansas City. Would it have been better if I would have went with the wheat, with the wheat beer from Boulevard? I don't know. I'll be honest. I'm not a big, uh, big beer guy myself, so... Uh, you know, I thought for a minute you were gonna go with the Kingdom Blonde Ale, and I was gonna, I was gonna hang up and, and leave. I was like, man, you can't, you can't pander <laughs> that hard. But you know, no, we, we won't, we won't pander, pander that hard again. At Arrowhead Tom for a Thomas, he's our draft guy. Yell at him for, for knocking Tank Seven, and also for disrespecting Green Bean Casserole. I think if you know, you know, Green Bean Casserole is the premier side at Thanksgiving. I know you got mashed potatoes. I know that's the classic. I know that that's the safe route. I think green bean casserole is sneaky underrated. I think that might push me over the hump. So this will be a poll on Twitter that you can vote on. Vote for me, obviously, Kansas City. I have your your best interest at heart. You're going to want to come to my Thanksgiving and not Thomas's. But Tom, I'll leave you the same way I leave all of our guests. Do you have any final words for the podcast? Um, 
Yeah, let's bring DeAndre Swift to Kansas City. That's I'm starting to, you know, I'm gonna pound the table for that. You're gonna hear that a lot. Uh, man, we gotta we gotta get this running game fixed, and uh, he should be there at pick 32. So I think we got a good chance. I totally agree with you there. Again, you can find him on Twitter at Arrowhead Tom. I'm on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. This is the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. If you're listening to this, instead of mingling with your family on Thanksgiving, let us know that too. I think that's pretty interesting. You should you should absolutely do that. We're going to have three episodes this week that you can catch up on while you're slamming down your green bean casserole in Tank 7. So be good. Be good to one another. another. This has been the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. It's a part of the Fan Side of the Podcasting Network. We'll see you next week. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.